This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Craig Kopp, reporting that on this downward slope of the legislative session, Democrats are frustrated. What the hell are we doing? A COVID-stricken Senator Lauren Book lashes out at the Republicans' culture war agenda. We can do better than this, and we need to do better than this. Democratic Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith says what he calls the don't say gay bill is being amended to be even worse. The imminent threat of being outed to your parents because of a state mandate. I cannot underscore how horrifying that is going to be. It's a special election day in Jacksonville for a city council seat, and all the big Democratic names have been working this campaign. You know, the question for me is, what if they don't win an election after doing that? You know, what after all, after all this, uh, Polson still loses by five or ten points. Sunrise talks with Florida politics reporter A.J. Genkarski about why this city council seat is so important. And the governor had another chance to quarrel about Florida tourism. We had almost 120 million Americans escape from Fauciville to come to free Florida. But first, quarantined after testing positive for COVID-19, Democratic Senator Lauren Book held an online news briefing to lash out at the way the 2022 legislative session is going, with legislation to limit abortions and control what's talked about in schools moving right along. She says nothing's being done about things like economic insecurity and the housing crisis. These are the things that Floridians care about. These are the things that they need us here fighting for. Not, not making children feel bullied in a place and in a time where we've worked so hard to make sure that children feel included. So you can't talk about their two moms and their two dads. Let's not forget, we just came off of the anniversary of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. And it it makes me think about the drills and all of the conversations that we had about safety drills and, you know, we're okay in a world and in a place and in time correctly. So it was a a piece of policy that I advocated for that children know how to protect themselves, that we have safe corners in classrooms, you know, everything that we need to do to, to, to protect them in schools, but we're a a bridge too far because we don't want to talk about two moms and two dads. What the hell are we doing? We can do better than this and we need to do better than this. So, yes, it's the worst it's ever been. Sorry. Yes, Book is saying that from her perspective, this is the worst Florida legislative session she's ever seen. I think this year, this is all very personal and it feels personal. And I know it's not coming from a a mean spirited place because I don't believe that my colleagues are trying to pass legislation that is mean in spirit. But I do believe that this is probably one of the worst sessions that I've seen where we're taking issues that are going to deeply, deeply affect Floridians. You know, I believe and I I know that all of my colleagues come to Tallahassee to represent, you know, their portion of the world and 21, 22 million Floridians deserve better than what we're doing. Um, you know, we, we talked about, and it was, you know, uh, it affected 11 trans athletes last session. A, a bill like 1834, Don't Say Gay, will affect untold children, families, teachers, the abortion ban, similarly, the elections bill, the immigration bill, all the, the CRT, um, all of, but really um, terrible 
terrible for Floridians. Painful, painful consequences. On the House side of the aisle, Democratic leadership held their weekly meet-up with the press, and Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith immediately took aim at a proposed amendment to the House bill limiting schools from talk about LGBTQ issues. This amendment would require schools to tell parents if a child informs them of a sexual identity issue, even if the child says they are afraid of parental backlash. Speaking from personal experience, the idea of being unwillingly outed to your parents when you're young, you're queer, you're questioning is absolutely horrifying. And, you know, I myself feared uh, about the day that my parents would find a magazine, uh, find a, a note or a text message uh, between uh, let's say a secret uh, boyfriend or you know secret girlfriend. If we didn't have text messages back when I was in high school, but you know what I'm talking about. The idea of that is horrifying, but that could have happened at any moment. The idea that the state would now mandate that once the school, under certain circumstances, uh, has this information, and the state is mandating that the school must develop a plan to disclose this information to a parent no later than six weeks after obtaining it, which is what the amendment says, means that in practice, the school is likely going to pull the child aside and say, listen, we understand that this is difficult. We are here to support you. But a state mandate requires us to share this information about who you are with your parent And we know that you have expressed concerns to us about their lack of support. But we are setting this meeting, this parent-teacher conference, at a time certain where all of us will be present and we'll have this discussion. The imminent threat of being outed to your parents because of a state mandate. I cannot underscore how horrifying that is going to be for LGBTQ youth, knowing that this will be disclosed at a time certain against their will. Just think of how desperate a child will feel if they are pushed up against the wall in this way. We already know that LGBTQ youth are four times more likely to attempt suicide than their peers. We already know that 40% of homeless youth in Florida identify as LGBTQ. The number one reason they are homeless is due to lack of support and rejection from their family. This amendment makes both of those problems worse. And I worry about what LGBTQ youth will do when a state mandate requires that they be forcibly outed to their parents against their will, specifically in circumstances where doing so will reasonably result in abuse, abandonment, or neglect. As her colleagues in the Senate debate the 15-week abortion ban passed by the House last week, Representative Fentrice Driscoll said when the law passes, it will be challenged in court. We do expect that lawsuits will be filed in response to the passage of House Bill 5. You heard from the bill sponsors that they know that House Bill 5, this 15-week 
abortion ban that's modeled after the law in Mississippi. They know that it is unconstitutional under the current law of the land, which is Roe v. Wade, which says that a state cannot regulate abortion prior to viability unless it has a compelling interest. Um, we know that the, um, the Mississippi law is currently in litigation, and I can ex you can expect that Florida's law would be in litigation as well. But just to echo Leader Jenny's comments, you know, as a lawmaker, as a woman, as a Black woman, and knowing that uh, particularly Black women have three to four times Times more likely negative outcomes in childbirth compared to their white female counterparts. You know, a bill like this was very difficult for me to um, to um, to see past. You know, personally, and then I think about women, whatever challenges it is that they're facing. You know, it could be an economic challenge. It could be that they don't have access to health care. Whatever barrier it, that it is, just the fact that the legislature was so callous and lacked compassion for whatever they may be going through in their lives and what that context may be was, was really disappointing. So yes, you can expect to see this challenged in court. The governor was in Madison County today to hand out some more infrastructure money, but what he really wanted to talk about was how many people keep coming to Florida because, well, freedom. People know no one wants to travel internationally because you got to get tested and all this. And just think about it. You may get caught in a foreign country. They do one of these PCR tests. They find dead virus from like a month ago. Uh, you're not even sick, contagious. And then what? You have to isolate for two weeks in a foreign country. So people don't want to go through the hassle. But they also know that not every place in America can you just go and live like a free person. Some places will discriminate against you based on your medical history. Other places will impose mandates restrictions and they know in florida you're going to be in a free state you're going to be able to do and live if you're visiting or living the way you want to do it so yes we had almost 120 million americans escape from fauciville to come to free florida so yes There's a special election today in Jacksonville for a city council seat long held by a Democrat, and it's been getting attention from everyone from Congressman and gubernatorial candidate Charlie Crist to current Governor Ron DeSantis. Sunrise talked with Florida politics reporter A.G. Ginkarski about why this city election is seen as so important statewide. Well, uh, last year, um, a sitting councilman, Tommy Azuri, a former Democratic mayor, died, and uh, that required a a special election within six months. They've had a runoff uh, with candidates eliminated. Now it's down to the final two of the election day today. Uh, Republican Nick Howland, he's backed by Ron DeSantis. Um, he's your machine kind of Republican, um, strongly linked with Republican Mayor Lenny Curry and um, his political apparatus. On the other side, you have a Democrat, Tracy Polson. Um, she is a, a social worker, psychotherapist. Um, she's been a heavy player in Democratic politics. She ran for State House in 2018, came close to winning. Um, she and her husband have been big donors to uh, Vice President Kamala Harris and people like that. Um, and it's become an issue. It's become a flashpoint, sort of a microcosm of what people expect the November 2022 election might look like in Jacksonville. Uh, recall that uh, Ron DeSantis did not win Duval County in 2018. Andrew Gillum did. 
So, you know, for Republicans, if they can score a win here and have Hallen beat Polson, um, they they take that as, well, that's a harbinger of good things to come for the rest of the cycle. So this is why, I mean, everybody, Charlie Crist, the agriculture secretary, I mean, everybody's been in town. And then uh, you've uncovered that uh, Ron DeSantis uh, put out a robocall in the last day or so uh, for the Republican side of thing. That's why everybody's here, because this is uh, would be a score for the Republicans and a continuation of what the Democrats had happen when Governor DeSantis was elected. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the city council itself, it's not going to affect much. The city council has a Republican supermajority um, pretty much either way. Um, so um, it doesn't matter who wins this election locally, but in terms of statewide, um, this is one that because Democrats have have bellied up and anteed up and all these players have invested political capital, if the Santos can score a victory here, um, it says, hey, four years after 2018, we're in a stronger position because of me. It's something that Ron DeSantis can take credit for. Uh, Republicans are expecting to pull through on this because – Democrats haven't really performed as well in the early vote as they did in the uh, December 1st election. Um, they've got about a five percentage point advantage, but Republicans in Duval County come out on election day. You get your super voters, and uh, Republicans expect to win the turnout war. Polling of this race has shown that NPAs like the Republican candidate also. So it, it seems to me almost as if the status coming in at the end was – almost to take credit for something that was going to happen anyway in terms of electoral outcome, which is something we saw Donald Trump do time and time again you know, during his election cycles as president. So it's nothing new there. Why can't the Democrats hold this? Well, Democrats are fundamentally divided here. Um, African-American Democrats and white liberal Democrats don't always get along. They don't always align. Uh, the elected leaders did um, present a united front for Polson, who is a white Democrat. Uh, black Democrats have endorsed and campaigned with her and so on. But the big question for Polson is going to be underperformance with the African-American Democrats. This happened in 2018 when she ran for state house. That was one reason that she didn't go to the state house, because in those precincts, uh, she wasn't able to pull it out. Um, in the first election in December 2021, she likewise underperforms in African-American precincts. Um, so that's going to be something that people are watching locally as the votes are, are tabulated. That's the thing that writ large has hurt Democrats, infighting between you know black Democrats and white liberal Democrats. Um, you know, that's it's basically been an issue in the party for year after year. And the early voting is showing that. Uh the trend is going to hold that those people just either probably just won't vote um, on, on Election Day uh, the, on the Democratic side who uh, can't get behind Polson. Yeah, I mean, it's that's the question. Are they going to vote in the numbers that you need? Um, because a lot of a lot of the things that drive organic turnout are people knowing you in these communities. I mean, you've got generations of leaders in these communities of political dynasties. And you know, that, that's basically when you're a relatively unknown candidate like Polson, who's running citywide for the first time, um, you know, these are these are the questions that you have to try to overcome as a candidate. And it's it's just not the same on the Republican side. The Republican side is they unify behind a candidate generally. And that's that. 
Um, the reason the seat was Democratic to begin with was because Tommy Azuri was so well-known and so popular. Uh, he had name identification, popularity, like no other Democrat in the city. So when he passed away, it, it left a void that hasn't been filled. And even though Democrats have a registration advantage in Duval County, they don't have a countywide leader they can really point to and say, yeah, that person is the guy. Um, and and that, that's, that's sort of a vacuum that's been there for a few years. I mean, you saw when Corrine Brown left office in 2016, um, you saw a vacuum there. And the Tommy Azuri departures also left another vacuum. And it remains to be seen how Duval Democrats fill that. Kind of weird, weirdly distorting to have all these big names coming in and, and, and working a city council election. Or do I read that wrong? Well, it is a citywide election, so there's opportunities for visibility across the city. Um, but, you know, the the Santos robocall, robocalls basically deployed however the campaign wants to do it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of where the Democrats came in for Polson, it tended to be in urban core areas. So uh, Charlie Chris came up to northwest Jacksonville. That's an African-American voter stronghold. Uh, Nikki Freed um, went to downtown Jacksonville's place called Underbelly, which was sort of a hipster hangout. So you kind of saw the, demo, the demographic targeting there. Um, but it is a citywide race for you to countywide race. So um, it's, you know, 900 square mile county. So um, that kind of gives you a perspective of what's at play here. So it's not surprising these campaigns uh, tried to make a play because you know, between now and August, when the Democrats have their primary, this is the only citywide election for them to play in. So um, for me, it makes perfect sense. It was a way to, you know, sort of audition the campaign apparatus to, you know, get your face in front of voters and all of that. But you know, the question for me is, what if they don't win an election after doing that? You know, what after all, after all this? Uh, Polson still loses by five or ten points. Yeah, cue, dr- um, cue dramatic music foreshadowing in store. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. A.G. <laughs> Genkarski, I appreciate the time. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you. Here's some of what's happening in Florida politics today. The House will take up a number of issues during a floor session, including two controversial education bills. One of the bills addresses how race-related issues are taught in public schools. The bill is an outgrowth of Governor Ron DeSantis' effort to prevent the teaching of critical race theory. The other measure would restrict how issues related to gender identity and sexual orientation are taught. The House Appropriations Committee will consider a wide-ranging tax package, including a series of sales tax holidays for people buying hurricane supplies and back-to-school clothes and supplies. The Senate Agriculture, Environment, and General Government Appropriations Subcommittee will consider a proposal that would take steps to try to combat rising sea levels. The Senate Health and Human Services Appropriations Subcommittee will consider a proposal that would create a statewide domestic violence task force. The Senate Transportation, Tourism, and Economic Development Appropriations Subcommittee will take up two bills that would create a program to help replace poles to provide broadband in unserved areas. The proposal includes setting aside $400 million in federal stimulus money for the program. 
Democratic Representatives Kristen Arrington, Michelle Rayner, and Carlos Guillermo Smith, along with Florida Commissioner of Agriculture and Consumer Services Nikki Freed, will hold a press conference to voice their objections to Republican-backed anti-LGBTQ bills, which will be considered by the full House today. More than 500 activists and community members will gather at the state capitol to voice support for reproductive freedom. The fight for Repro Freedom Day of Action is in response to the abortion ban moving through the Florida legislature. Democratic Senators Chevron Jones and Jason Pizzo, along with Democratic Representative Kevin Chambliss, are expected to take part in a news conference that's part of an event to support crime victims' rights. Democratic Senators Chevron Jones, Bobby Powell, Annette Tadeo, and Democratic Congressman Charlie Crist will take part in a news conference to talk about the state of Black Florida. Also, the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals will hear arguments in a high-profile case about a transgender male student who was prevented from using the boys' bathrooms at a St. John's County high school. Drew Adams, who is transgender, and his mother filed the lawsuit in 2017 after St. John's County's Nice High School required him to use a gender-neutral single-stall bathroom or the girls' bathrooms. A U.S. district judge sided with Adams in the dispute, leading to the St. John's County School Board taking the case to the Atlanta-based appeals court. The State Division of Elections will hold a meeting today about a proposed rule dealing with recount procedures. The Florida First Responder Suicide Deterrence Task Force will meet, and a fundraiser in Sarasota County is scheduled this evening for Republican Attorney General Ashley Moody. And finally, former President Donald Trump's social media app that he hopes will rival Twitter has launched a little over a year after he was banned from Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube following the January 6th Capitol insurrection. The Truth Social app was offered for download from the Apple Store to a limited number of subscribers who had pre-ordered with others added to a waiting list to be given access over the next 10 days. The site encountered technical glitches shortly after launch, with reports that subscribers were shut out for hours, others had trouble signing on. The site is not expected to be open to anyone who wants to download it until next month. According to Apple's rankings, Truth Social was the top free app in the U.S. on Monday morning, beating out HBO Max, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and the children's game, Talking Ben the Dog. That's it for today's edition of Sunrise. I'm Craig Kopp. Join us again tomorrow as we do another daily dive into Florida politics.